Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Imagine looking in the mirror one day and noticing that you have colored contact lenses that you never knew about. All your life, these lenses have been on your eyes, distorting the way you see the world. So you take them out and find nothing looks the way you thought it did. Thankfully, you don't have lenses like that on your eyes, but most of us do have them in our minds. Lenses that distort the way we see the people around us. What kind of person are you? Would you say that you're more of a plus person or a minus person? A plus person is someone who, whenever they talk about someone else, they increase that person's reputation in the eyes of whoever they're talking to. They're just always noticing the good things, and they're always talking about the good things, and they just lift people up in the eyes of others. A minus person is the opposite. They notice bad things. If you make a mistake, eventually some people are going to hear about it from them. If you do something good, they may not notice, but boy, they have eagle eyes for things that you do wrong. How would it hit you If you somehow discovered today that you have a reputation around this church of being a minus person, what if you found out that people in your prayer group have to be careful around you, they have to be careful what they say about themselves because because they hear how you talk to them about others and they assume, well, they must talk about me that way when I'm not around. On the other hand, how would you feel if you found out today that Uh, You have a reputation around this church of being a big plus person. That'd be pretty cool, right? If people thought of you that way. One more question. Is there any chance of that? I mean, realistically, in your case, is there any chance that you're just known uh, as as a plus person? If you're like me, uh, there's probably been some multiple times in your life when you've resolved to become more of a plus person only to find out that your speech patterns stay pretty much the same. Why is that? Why is it so hard to just just have edifying speech instead of speech that, that tears people down? We've been studying verse by verse through the book of James And we come to a passage today where James is going to dig down beneath the surface and show us some attitudes and some perspectives in our hearts that push us toward being a plus person or minus person, building each other up or tearing each other down. And uh, and it's a fascinating passage. It starts with a command. So right off the bat, verse 11, here's the command. Brothers, do not slander one another. So the Greek word translated slander in NIV, it just means to speak against. That's what the word means. I'm not sure why the NIV translators translated slander the first time and then speak against the other two times, but all three times in the verse, it's the exact same Greek word. It's, it's to speak against the very direct translation of this Greek word, kata laleo. Laleo to speak, kata against. So just means to speak against. It's a very broad term, and it's used to describe any kind of speech that that is against the person. So it would include lies, false accusations. It would include gossip, speaking about someone in a way that hurts their reputation. In Numbers 21.5, it's used to describe the people grumbling against leadership. 
It can be done behind the person's back. It can be done in front of the person's face. It can be false things, true things. It can be done by putting the spotlight on someone's weaknesses. It can be done by divulging secrets. It can be done by telling what the person did wrong, but leaving out the part about the exigent circumstances uh, and mitigating things that, that would make it more understandable. Or maybe you drop subtle hints that lead people to assume there must have been some bad motives. You don't actually come out and say it, but you, you drop some hints. This can be done by overstating a person's faults or even understating a person's graces. Speaking, saying good things about, talking about their good points in a way that makes their good points seem smaller than they really are. We can be very subtle in the way we speak against. There's a thousand ways to speak against one another. Basically, it's any kind of speech that you would rather people not say about you, right? And it's an extremely common problem because all you have to do to commit this sin is to just observe reality, right? That's all you have to do. All the people around us are sinning all the time, constantly sinning, constantly making mistakes, constantly exposing weaknesses and failures and faults and inadequacies. So all you have to do to commit this particular sin is just observe what people do and then say it, right? Just just talk about reality. It's such an incredibly easy sin to commit. And not only easy to commit, but easy to justify, right? I'm always doing is observing reality. I didn't, I didn't mean him any harm. I'm just observing reality. I'm just stating the facts. How can I be faulted for just stating the facts? Is it such an evil thing to just state the facts? Well, it depends on which facts you state and why. You see, nobody states all the facts, right? Not even close. Why are you stating the ones that you're stating? Or to back it up a step, of all the thousands and thousands of things that your mind sees and then immediately discards as unworthy of being noticed or remembered, why did you notice and remember the things that you noticed and remembered? James is going to help us answer that question by once again taking us down deep to the source, inside the heart. After giving the command not to speak against one another, James tells us why. He's going to give us three reasons why not to speak against one another. And he, he, when he gives us the reason, it's interesting because he gives the command and then when he gives the reason for the command, he, he sneaks in a new component. He says, brothers, do not speak against one another. There's a command. And then he says, here's the reason. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. So, so he introduces this idea of judging. Now, if you've been with us in this study, it's not hard to see what James is doing here. Once again, he's pointing us to the heart. Say, so where does this judging suddenly come from uh, partway through the verse? It, what he's doing is he's, he, he's pointing to the heart. He's showing us where hostile words come from. They come from a judgmental heart. Okay? A judgmental heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Do we have the? Can we go to another slide and see? Do we have the graphic there? I thought there's a. There's no picture. Okay. Well, imagine a imagine a picture of a man with a with with judgment in his heart, and out of that judgment is coming hostile words, speaking against, slander. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 31. You say what you say because it was in your heart. It came from the inside. Um, the, the one poet said that your heart is a garden, your, th- your thoughts are the seeds, you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. 
right? And that's really, that really captures the idea here. Everything comes from the heart. So when you, when you criticize and put people down or gossip or slander or grumble about people, that kind of talking comes out of a judgmental heart. That's what James is telling us. And James is always doing that. He's always concerned about the sin beneath the sin, the heart issues that cause the actions and cause the words. Um, and the sin beneath the sin of gossip is judgmentalism. See, here's the thing about us. We're not just walking video recorders. We're judges, see? We don't just observe and report. We make judgments about the person that we're observing. Then we observe what they say and do through the lens of those judgments. That's what we do. And that's why you judge people differently based on how much you like them. I mean, you can't deny that. You judge, you evaluate people's actions and their words differently based on whether you really like them a lot or whether you really dislike them. See, we never know all the facts. And so there's so many blanks in our knowledge of the situation. We can't see the heart. We don't know everything that led up to what, what this person did. We don't know their motives. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know all. There's so much we don't know. There's so many blanks in our knowledge. And your heart will fill in those blanks with the lens of whatever attitude you have towards that person, whatever your judgment is. If you really like the person, you're going to fill in all those blanks in positive ways, with positive assumptions. Mercy will put the best possible construction on what they did. And that's essential for making right judgments. God does not want us to judge objectively, just unbiased. The world makes it sound like unbiased judgment is best. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not what Scripture teaches. We need to have a bias towards mercy. That's what will make give you right judgments. If we evaluate each other without mercy filling in the blanks, in our knowledge. We will provoke God's wrath to judge us without mercy. James warned us about that member back in chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So in order for us to judge properly, there must be mercy in our hearts towards the person. That's what James, that's the backdrop of what James has already said. And if that mercy is missing, you're going to render a wrong judgment. You're just going to be a bad judge. In Matthew 9, good illustration of this, Matthew 9, the Pharisees rendered a judgment about some people. They're just way off, 180 degrees. They couldn't have been more wrong. These are people who were repenting of their sins, sinners who were repenting and coming to Christ and honoring him, and they were condemning them. That's as far off as you can get on a, on a judgment. Instead of rejoicing over the repentance, they're, they're condemning and looking down at them. And here's Jesus' response. Matthew 19, 13, he says, he says to those Pharisees who are doing that wrong judgment, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so, so, so they rendered a wrong judgment. They lacked mercy. Jesus told them to go and study mercy in, in, in that verse, Hosea 6, 6. So he gave them the little homework assignment. Three chapters later, there they are again on the pages of Matthew making yet another wrong judgment, once again condemning the innocent. And, and, and so in Matthew 12, 7, Jesus said, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So you didn't do your homework. I told you to study Hosea 6, 6. You didn't do it. Now here you are being rebuked again for yet another wrong judgment. They routinely rendered wrong judgments because they refused to learn about mercy. So, so back to that question, what's wrong with just stating the facts? 
Well, if the facts you state tend to be negative ones, that shows what lens you've been looking at the person through. You're looking through a judgmental lens. It's not the lens of mercy. It's the lens of judgmentalism. Think about how God is with you. Is he like that with you? God has a lot of dirt on you, doesn't he? I mean, he has some stuff in his mind. He knows there are thoughts that you've had in your head that if God decided to expose them, it would ruin you. It would ruin your family. You'd probably lose your job. He could, he could do that. Just think of how many negative things God knows about you that he doesn't make public. He knows more bad stuff about you than you know. And yet he still looks at you how? Through the lens of mercy instead of judgment. That's amazing because God doesn't even have gaps in his knowledge, right? He doesn't have to fill in any gaps. He knows exactly what the situation Yet he still judges you through the lens of mercy. Praise the Lord indeed. If God does that with you, can't you allow mercy to govern your assumptions about your sister, your brother, and the Lord? Think about those people that they're just at the bottom of your list right now. They're just you just, you just for whatever reason you just don't like them. You don't really get along with them. You get they bug you. They rub you the wrong way. Ask yourself: Am I for them or against them? Are you for that person or are you against that person? Can you honestly say you're on their side? You say, what do you mean sides? What are the sides? Well, Satan is the accuser, right? That's what his name means, the accuser. Jesus, meanwhile, is the advocate making, making intercession for that person in heaven before God. Those are the two sides. Whose side are you on? Are you on the devil's side or are you on Jesus' side? Have you ever had a pair of rose-colored sunglasses? They're amazing. I don't know if it's the same for other people as it is for me, but I'm colorblind. So I see colors, but they appear much duller to me than to people with good eyes. When I put on rose glasses, the world becomes beautiful. All colors become vivid and vibrant. Sky is deeper blue. It's amazing. I imagine it might be kind of the way most people see things naturally. If I wear them a while and forget about them, then when I finally take them off, everything looks drab. It's depressing. On the other hand, I also have a pair of blue blocker glasses. When we put those on, everything looks terrible. And blue light isn't visible at all. It's not that it looks like another color, you just can't even see it. Now for this analogy, think of the color blue as representing what's good in people. When you look at people you love, you look at them through rose-colored lenses. When you look at the people you don't like, you have the blue blockers on. Give some thought to the various people in your life. People at work, church, people who have hurt you, the way you look at strangers. Ask yourself, what shade lens do you tend to look at them through? It might help to imagine yourself taking off your blue blocker glasses and putting on the glasses you use to look at the people you love and respect the most. How would that change the way you think about those people, the way you listen to them, the way you talk about them, and the way you act toward them? Lord Jesus, you taught us to love our enemies. Everyone loves their friends and family, even atheists. But only people following your way love their enemies. 
But it's hard, Lord. I'm so prone to vengeful attitudes. When I try to love my enemies and my heart resists, help me, Lord. Remind me of how you loved me when I was your enemy. Remind me of where I would be if you let vengeful attitudes towards me reign in your heart, which, in your case, would have been completely just. Dear Father, remind me of how, even as you knew all the sins I'd ever commit against you, you gave your beloved Son to die for me. Remind me of how, even while I was rebelling against you, you drew me to yourself instead of giving me what I deserved. Remind me of all that so I can remember to extend that same kind of grace to the people who hurt me. I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen me with power through your Spirit in my inner being so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that I having been rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled to the measure of all your fullness, God. To you who are able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within me, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.